Races and disenfranchisement fears as Election Day approaches. I'm Jarrett Murphy from CityLimits.org. My broadcast partner, Ben Max, is off this week. We'll be talking to Senator Andrew Gennardis from Brooklyn. He won two years ago a seat that had long been held by a Republican, the last Republican state Senate seat in Brooklyn, the last Republican state senator in New York City outside of Staten Island, uh, and now is facing re-election. He also represents an area that's been affected by some of the recent shutdowns and restrictions because of an outbreak, an uptick in COVID in areas of Brooklyn and Queens. And that is a set of uh, stories that's that's still developing now. Uh, out The uh, uh, backlash to Governor Cuomo's announcements yesterday is growing in some Orthodox Jewish areas of the city. Uh, lawmakers upset about the way the government uh, did what it did and, and the way that they did not consult people ahead of doing that. Uh, some concerns, too, from the archdiocese um, of Catholic churches and schools in some of those areas who are concerned they weren't consulted. And that's something we'll be talking about later as well. Obviously, everyone know, knows about the presidential race, vice presidential debate tonight. That's where all the attention is. That's where the, the fate of humanity depends on. But there are many other races on the ballot uh, on November 3rd, regardless of where you live. Uh, Congress is up everywhere, state assembly and state senate. Also, in many cases, judicial races in Queens. The Queensborough president race, uh, necessitated by Melinda Katz becoming district attorney, will be on the docket, as well as a city council race in Brooklyn, where I believe there's only one opponent, but you still only one candidate, I should say, but you still uh, can vote. So a lot of different races to choose from. Many of them do not appear to be competitive, which is obviously kind of a difficult thing for a reporter to say. We obviously don't know what's going to happen, but based on the fact that many of these districts tend to go Democratic, that registration is so heavily slanted in that direction, um, that many of them are incumbents. We do not expect particularly tight races in those race in those areas, although we can't be surprised. Um, but there are a few where things are different, where you have uh, interesting uh, sets of candidates where you have interesting electoral histories. You do have some districts that are uh, much more swing district, even in New York City, where you might have a slight Democratic advantage, but Republicans tend to win, where President Trump won, where Republican candidates have won. And it's not just on Staten Island. Uh, and so those districts are where votes really count and where I think we'll be looking to see, as Perry Grossman just said, when will the final results come in? We waited a long time for the June results and um, we might be waiting a long time for the November results as well. Uh, Reggie, are we lined up for our next guest? Yep. All right. Thank you. So I'm very pleased to welcome now to Max and Murphy, uh, Andrew Gunardis, who is a Democrat in the state Senate. He's in his first term representing District 22, and he's the chairman of the Committee on Civil Service and Pensions. Senator Gunardis, welcome to Max and Murphy. Hey, guys. How are you doing? Good. It's just me today. Only Only Murphy. Max got the night off. He thought I could handle you by myself. So hopefully that will be the case. Um, so Senator Gennardis, I want to start first with the news that's been uh, very much in the headlines the past couple of days, which is the announcement by the mayor and then the governor and then the mayor of new restrictions on some areas of Brooklyn and Queens where there has been a pronounced spike in COVID-19 cases. Um, a lot of concern about the impact of those restrictions, about the fairness of them. Uh, can you tell us what's happening in your district and how you feel it's been handled? Uh, sure. Well, you know, there's definitely uh, very, very concerned about the uptick that we're seeing in this, uh, you know, fairly large cluster in southern Brooklyn. I represent a good chunk of the area that is uh, of concern. Um, obviously, we are very, very concerned about the health impacts and the public health impacts of, of this spread. 
and we want to try to contain it as much as possible. Uh, you know, what we're seeing on the ground is obviously there's a lot of a lot of people who are upset, concerned, anxious, afraid, angry about kind of how these announcements have been made. You know, the mayor went on the uh, TV on Sunday saying, here's what we're going to do if I get permission by Wednesday, which threw everybody into a tizzy. And then we got, you know, slow bits of information coming out of the governor's office over the last two days to kind of fill in those gaps. So people have been living in a state of, of nonstop anxiety since Sunday. Uh, schools are closed. We think some schools are closed that might be open. We think some schools are open that might end up being closed. As of about an hour ago, we still didn't have a final list from the Department of Education as to which schools were or were not going to be impacted. Uh, businesses, obviously, very concerned about the impact on businesses, some of which have just now been able to get back on their feet and get back to a steady pace of business. And any prolonged shutdown for them might put them out of business for good, which has me very, very concerned. Uh, and we've seen a lot of cases of schools uh, that, that have not had a single case of COVID, um, or, you know, had followed every protocol, have done every testing procedure, have submitted their data, um, you know, to the state and to the city who are now being shut down. And they really can't understand why if they are not part of the health risk. So there's been a lot of confusion. I think we've been able to get more information out over the last uh, day or so, uh, over the last couple of hours. But I think there still are questions that remain that we're going to keep trying to the answer for people, but um, people are definitely in an anxious state of mind right now. So if you can, let's separate the the kind of the packaging and the delivery of the message from the policy itself. You've, you've said, obviously, there is a legitimate public health concern about some of these spikes in uh, positive test rates. The uh, policies that the governor and the mayor together in a jumbled kind of way have come up with are, as you said, depending on the location, and there are all these like orange and yellow and red zones, but that, that's a different complexity. Um, some schools closing, um, some businesses being told to close, uh, some houses of worship being restricted and how many people they can have in and uh, re- restrictions on any kind of large gathering. Um, leaving aside the communications issues, do you feel as though those measures are warranted given the spikes we've seen in COVID-19? I think any steps that we're going to take have to really be targeted to the critical areas. Um, and, you know, we, we went through a shutdown where we had a complete shutdown because the argument was we have to stop everything so we can stop any type of inter-neighborhood transmission. That made sense to people intuitively. Now we have this hybrid model approach, um, you know, that's applying to this partial shutdown. I, I do worry about the ability for inter-neighborhood transmission. I think there are still gaps in the system. If you live in the zone, but your kids go to school outside the zone, there doesn't seem to be a problem. But if you live outside the zone and you send your kids to school in the zone, that is a problem. Well, that doesn't really make much sense. Uh, and so I think there are still questions that remain about the total efficacy of this approach. Uh, I am concerned that for folks that have done the right thing and have continued to do the right thing and have a track record of not having any cases or any positive testing, uh, that they're being unfairly penalized as well. And that's something that I'm going to continue advocating for. Uh, no one is saying that we want to ignore this problem, but we want to make sure that we are taking all of the available data to us and laser focusing in on on the problem spots and doing everything we can in those limited areas. I mean, that was the whole point of having this robust contract tracing program that we've been promised, you know, for months now. Um, that was supposed to prevent this from happening again, and we haven't seen that. 
Do you think that, and this, this calls for a certain amount of speculation, but why not? Uh, obviously, one of the sentiments we've heard over the past several days in some of the areas that have been targeted for these measures is from the Orthodox Jewish community and other elements of the Jewish community. And they feel as though they're being singled out. They're being targeted. Um, some objections to the particular language the governor has used, but also, I think, to the geography of this. If you were to tailor it more narrowly so that a smaller and more focused part of, of your district and other districts around the city were hit by these measures, do you think people would feel sort of more singled out because it might be even more specific to a particular kind of ethnic enclave? You know, I'm looking at it from my perspective. Like I said, I represent a good chunk of this, uh, of both the red and orange hotspot areas. The map that we got yesterday is actually broader than what we were previously being told by the city health department and by the city over the last week and a half. So from my perspective, I don't see this as an Orthodox, it's just an Orthodox Jewish problem. I see this as a Southern Brooklyn problem. And I am worried about this, about spreading, uh, occurring across neighborhoods now, uh, both predominantly Orthodox neighborhoods and non-Orthodox neighborhoods, and what that might mean for the rest of Southern Brooklyn. So, uh, you know, I don't think it's about targeting one specific group. I don't think it's about honing in on one specific, um, you know, um, religious sect. I think it's about realizing and figuring out where we're seeing the numbers and then what we can do to target the response just to those numbers. For example, when the mayor put out his list of zip codes, he did not include Marine Park as one of the hotspot areas. But based on the data the governor's office released yesterday, there actually is a significant uptick of cases that have been documented in Marine Park. Well, the inconsistency in that data has me very concerned. And I want to make sure that we are laser focused on all of these hotspots, regardless of where they are. Just one more on this topic, then we'll move on to some of the many other things we want to talk about. But I'm curious if you can kind of let us behind the curtain, uh, listeners and journalists who don't know. You're a, a state senator. You're in a district that has a, a concern that, that, that is the epicenter of, of this concern. Uh, and you're worried about how this policy is being rolled out. Are you able to, to, to talk to the mayor, to talk to the governor? How close can you get uh, to, you know, more than, say, you know, Joe Schmo off the street? to getting answers and, and, and making sure that your objections and concerns are heard. Is the, you think the mayor and governor are listening? Have you had a chance to, to make your case directly to them? Uh, I have not spoken directly to the mayor or governor, but I have been in close contact with his staff continuously and with his senior staff continuously since the announcement on Sunday. And even before Sunday, when we, when we first got notice about the Ocean Parkway cluster and we were trying to help contain it at that point. So uh, we have been in touch. I can say that they know all of my concerns. They know all of my requests, you know, whether it's for more rapid testing sites or mobile testing sites or it's concerns about the schools or the businesses. Uh, and we have seen some some responsiveness on those concerns and, and some that we still are waiting for answers on. Um, you know, this is this is not easy. And I don't, I don't profess to say that it's easy for anybody. But, you know, whenever the governor or the mayor make these pronouncements and they they leave out a lot of the blanks, my office is often one of the first that gets called or gets tagged on a tweet or in social media or Facebook or an email asking us to decipher what they just heard on, on TV or the radio. And so we have to be the, the intermediaries. And oftentimes we don't have the complete picture of information as well, which makes it challenging for us uh, and certainly for my office. But despite that, we are working and we are in constant contact. And you know, we're trying to just chip away at our list of questions with every phone call we make. 
So you've been a state senator now for something like 21 months, and obviously it's been a pretty interesting period in state political history and, and world history. When you look back on your time in office, what are you proud of? What are the accomplishments that you can tout to voters uh, who are examining you and, and, and looking to whether you want to they want to rehire you in November? Uh, no, thanks. You know, I, I've been very honored to serve the last uh, 21 months, as you put it. Um, it feels like a lifetime already, given the, the pandemic. The pandemic has stretched out all these years. Uh, I'm really proud of a lot of what we've done. But really, you know, I went to Albany with a, a singular focus on trying to improve pedestrian safety in the community. And I was able to do that by passing and re- renewing and expanding the school zone speed camera program last year. Uh, I went to Albany promising to fight for better public transit. And I was able to help do that with a dedicated revenue stream for the MTA, uh, put forward my my bill, which passed the Senate, but not the Assembly, on giving riders a vote on the board of the MTA. So we have some direct accountability for how the agency makes its decisions, as well as securing funding for three new elevators uh, in the district, which I think is really, really important. We don't, we didn't have any elevators installed before, uh, before I took office. Uh, I also was able to get some really significant legislation passed for 9-11 first responders, unlimited sick leave for first responders for any public servant, uh, reforming the medical board. For uh, you know, for uh, city workers who have to go for a 9/11 diagnosis, uh, renewing the 9/11 Worker Protection Task Force, passing the COVID line of duty death benefit benefit bill for anyone who um, you know, unfortunately got sick from COVID and died, their families would now be protected. I've done a lot, and I'm very very proud of that. Uh, and I'm proud of the how I was able to help bring some of the state resources back to my district, whether it was elevators or funding for public schools. Um, or, you know, $5.6 million for a remodeling of Playground 278 out in Marine Park. All really great stuff. If you uh, return to office uh, in January, what's what's the number one priority for the second term? If you if you have your druthers and could get one thing done, what would it be? Wow, just one thing. You know, there's, there's so much. Honestly, everything that we have to do in the upcoming term has to be focused around long-term recovery. And the long-term recovery from this pandemic – uh, both from a healthcare perspective and a social impact perspective, as well as an economic perspective. Um, and I think one of the good ways we can do that, especially on the economic front, is to look at some of our existing um, uh, resources that we have, or some of, you know, something like the CUNY system, the city university system, which I think is, is in, in any time, it is a model of economic mobility for students in the city of New York. You know, it educates nearly a quarter of a million students across all of its programs. But especially in tough economic times, we could turn CUNY into a catalyst for significant economic development uh, that'll help us create and invest in new industries, will allow us to get people into good-paying jobs when they graduate with a degree from our university system, and can really put CUNY on the map, not that it's not, but we can really elevate it as the world's premier urban university system. I think we have that potential. And I think, you know, focusing on CUNY in that way will allow us to lay the foundation for a very strong uh, and just COVID recovery. So you represent a district that I think, you know, for many years was considered a swing district in Brooklyn, you know, one of the last to be represented by a Republican. Obviously, you became a Democrat representing it. Uh, but it obviously is an area that has had more kind of ideological balance back and forth and some other places. You got elected in a blue wave and there was a tremendous progressive majority uh, in charge in in Albany on the Democratic side of the aisle. 
Did you ever feel as they pursued their agenda, especially in 2019 when so many pieces of legislation were approved, did you ever feel at odds with that kind of progressive thrust? Were there, were there points where you tried to tap the brakes or were you uh, sat out saying this is this is not for me? No, I don't feel that way. You know, there are we did so much the last two years and, you know, really knocked off a, a huge accomplishment list of things that had been blocked by the Republicans for, for, for years. And in some cases, even decades, you know, groundbreaking electoral reform, the Reproductive Health Act, the Child Victims Act, the Community you know, Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act, reforming the state's sexual harassment laws. I mean, these are things that have widespread appeal, regardless of people's um, political affiliation. Uh, and to be able to say that after two years, I accomplished much of what I campaigned on, I think is actually a great talking point. And, um, you know, is, is proof positive that uh, that when people put their trust in me two years ago, uh, hoping that I would deliver for the district, that I did. And, you know, obviously we all know there's still more work to be done, but I feel really comfortable and confident with the work that we have done so far. And I, I did exactly what I said I was going to do. Um, I voted on the bills and I championed the bills that I said I was going to champion. There was no mistake about it when people pulled the lever for me or filled in the bubble for me, rather, uh, that they knew what they were getting. And, you know, I'm, I'm proud of that record. So you face an opponent named Vito Bruno, Republican, uh, on November 3rd, and you won over incumbent Senator Marty Golden by something around, I think it was around 2% last time. Um, and that was in a year when there was a significant blue wave. This year you have a presidential election on the ballot. Um, there's going to be a tremendous amount of interest um, I imagine your district might be one where there are some some Trump voters. How do you feel about this race? Are you are you concerned, and do you think there will be a Trump effect um, that could trickle down to your race? Um, you know, I've only this is only my first re-election, re um, but I will say that I take I, I take this race very seriously, and I take every vote seriously. I'm not taking anything for granted. Um, you know, and, and despite the challenges we're facing in trying to campaign during the age of COVID, I'm trying to do everything I can to, to earn as many votes as I can of people in my district. Um, I don't know what's going to happen on November 3rd, but I do know that uh, people in, down here in southern Brooklyn, they care about people who can deliver for them. And whether it's passing groundbreaking legislation that helps you know, transform the lives of people in our district or making sure that we are you know, hyper responsive to constituent concerns, whether that be uh, you know, getting a stop sign installed somewhere or trying to organize a community cleanup, helping more than 1,500 people get their unemployment benefits during the pandemic, or serving more than 50,000 people meals. I think all of those records of accomplishment will add up um, and, and do add up and that people see that level of, of service and they respond positively to it. So at the end of the day, I'm asking people to judge me based on my record, what I've done, what my office has done. I've met many people across the district when I've been campaigning and other times that say, you know what, I didn't vote for you, but I called your office about this, that, or the other. Your office helped me out. I really respect that. I really want to thank you. And you have my vote next time. That's how I'm going to win this election. And that's how I want to always win my election, by serving my constituents. Do you think that you are running to some degree against uh, Mayor de Blasio? Uh, you know, that's the case certainly in some districts that have a, you know, a decent uh, Republican presence is that, uh, the, the mayor and his reputation uh, becomes an issue and, and Democratic candidates feel they have to separate themselves. Your opponent has linked you to the mayor so that he was a mentor of yours. You know, do, do you feel as though you are kind of trying to run against the mayor as well? And, and how do you characterize 
I guess, your overall impression of the mayor and, and how successful he's been? You know, I'm laughing because uh, my opponent is trying to make a mountain out of a picture that that was taken, you know, seven years ago when I was in my mid-20s, uh, you know, during the 2013 mayoral election. I have a picture standing next to the mayor and his wife, and all of a sudden that makes me a mentee. Uh, yes. It's, it's, it's preposterous. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, but it's not surprising because when you don't have anything else to say about yourself, you lie about other people. And that's just the way some people are. And they, you know, they can't get they can't be bigger than that. So I, I understand that that's an easy target. But the reality is, you know, I've made no qualms uh, or no secret about my uh, my concerns about the mayor. Even in my last race, I was asked in my debate on New York one. What you know, whether I give the mayor a passing or failing grade, I said I give him a failing grade two years ago when I ran. Not much has changed since then. I've been very critical of the mayor when he's blocked legislation that I've tried to push, including the uh, sick leave benefits for 9-11 first responders. Uh, I've pushed back on him on a number of times, you know, especially during his response during the, the pandemic. I've been very critical of his handling of the schools, uh, the reopening, you know, the, the delay to close, and then the kind of the staggered reopening that created more confusion and anxiety for people. I feel very comfortable with, um, you know, my views and how I interface with all of the other elected office officials in government and whether they are or not delivering for my district. And I will continue to be critical of those that I think are not living up to their responsibility. And I'll continue to work with those who are willing to work with us to make sure that we're helping people. That's the only thing that matters at the end of the day. Are people in your district worried about crime and do they have a reason to? Is that a legitimate worry? Look, I think people in my district are very, very worried about their well-being, whether that's, um, you know, from the slight uptick in, in, in crime that we've seen due, due to COVID or because of the virus that's gone unchecked. Uh, you know, like we saw, the numbers are rising here in southern Brooklyn. We have not been able to contain the virus. People are concerned about their ability to, you know, get an unemployment check. That $505 is not going to last for long for many people, uh, $504. You know, people are, are upset that they can't get that extended unemployment benefit from the federal government. That's what they're worried about. They're worried about, you know, their their own health, their own well-being, whether their schools are safe. So I think people have an anxiety about their overall well-being. And I'm trying to do everything in my power to answer those anxieties and provide leadership that addresses them. We have about 45 seconds left. I want to ask you, in the first part of the show, we talked to a lawyer from the NYCLU who focuses on you know, election integrity and the ability of people to exercise their right to vote. Questions, obviously, about how that will work this year with all the mail-in ballots and the you know, big interest in the presidential race here in New York City. As a candidate who's on the ballot, how do you feel about that? Do you, do you, how do you feel the vote will go? Are you confident that the Board of Elections can handle it? You know, I, I obviously I was very upset with what happened with the absentee ballots, but I think the Board of Elections response has been very good in trying to address that problem. Uh, you know, I, I didn't know my race, that outcome from my first election two years ago. I had to wait three weeks for confirmation then. So this is nothing new to me. Um, I, I, I hope I remain hopeful that there won't be any hitches in the electoral process and how people will vote. I have hope that there will be no issues with turning people away who want to vote or any confusion at the ballot box. Um but if there is, we'll be ready. We'll have lawyers you know, standing by, working in conjunction with you know, the Democratic Lawyers Council and others to make sure that everyone's vote can be counted at the end of the day. Well, Andrew Gennardis, Democrat in the state Senate and for the state Senate, thank you so much for joining us. Great. Thank you. 
We should mention that we uh, did invite Mr. Gennardis' opponent, Vito Bruno, the Republican, to the show, but he declined through a spokesperson uh, to come, uh, but wish both of them good luck on November 3rd. 